she looks at me. <laughs> I'm flying home from the East Coast. I have things to do, a message to polish up, a book I wanted to read, a nap I wanted to take from my 3 a.m. start during the day. But when I and the friend next to me that was at the window when I was in the aisle saw this mom with a backpack, a, babe, a diaper bag, an almost two-year-old, a frazzled and apologetic look point at the seat between the two of us and said, that one's ours. I had an uh-oh moment. And I decided to be a, a gracious papa instead of the grumpy old man that I could be after starting the day at three o'clock. You know, the mom prepared well and she did her best. The kid was, well, the kid was an almost two-year-old the whole trip. 20-year-old single mom started her own day at 3 a.m., bringing her daughter out to visit dad in Oregon. Magenta air, lots of tats and piercings, trying hard, loving well. Early in the flight, I said to her, your daughter really is a good traveler. And part of that was true, and part of it was by faith. And she said, thank you, with relief and appreciation in her voice. When the mom's tricks ran out, I pulled out my iPhone and then my iPad. Uh, my devices are like a kid's electronic playground. Their travel story unfolded. It was the last leg of a four-leg trip. The previous fellow passengers were not happy about it and let them know. They let mom know they didn't appreciate an almost two-year-old in her lap. They didn't like sharing the kids' flying snacks and splashing apple juice. They didn't like the repeated restroom trips for diaper changes. And they said, of course, why does she have to cry? Can't you make her be quiet? No wonder the mom looked anxious when she pointed to us two men and said, that seat between you is ours. I learned a little bit about love yesterday. It's always at least a little bit inconvenient. You have to go out of your comfort zone a little bit, but sometimes all it takes is just making a little bit of room for another and being kind. As we do and we launch this last of our several week series in Grace-isms. This series has been a little challenging for me. How about you? Yeah, it hasn't been? Well, I'm gonna turn up the heat today and help you out there. When we talk about loving people, it's great conceptually, but it can be really stretching when it comes down to getting out of our comfort zones. We've talked about racism and classism and ageism and sexism, which we defined as speaking or thinking or acting negatively about someone else solely based upon their race, color, class, age, or sex. And we flipped that around to graceism which is the extension of special favor on humans because of color, class, age, sex. We've talked about befriending the other. We asked, who is your other? And how would you expand our us by befriending the other? The talk today may be the most helpful. It may also be the most challenging. We're going to talk about reconciliation. And today as we do that, we're going to be in finishing this series about including the other. We're, we're going to look at some Bible passages. I'm going to give you four ways to be a reconciler, and then we're going to receive communion together. So should we jump in? Yeah. 
Here we go. How many of you would like to fly on this plane? <laughs> yeah, me, me neither. Uh, this plane, by the way, is, uh, is a part of the Photoshop Air Fleet. Yeah. A one-winged plane is doomed. It will not get off the ground. And the one-winged gospel is also doomed. It simply will not fly. There is a spiritual wing and a social wing. Love God, love people. They simply cannot be separated. Jesus died for both. He died to bring us back to God and back to each other, to reconcile us to God and to reconcile us to each other. He died to forgive us so we would forgive others. He died for both. Now, I recognize from my own experiences that some gospels tend to preach only one of the wings. There are those that speak the spiritual wing, that Jesus died for our sins and to be reconciled with God, we must receive forgiveness, but they don't spend much time talking about the implications socially for us. There's also the possibility to preach the social side of the gospel about how we need to engage with other human beings, but seem not to emphasize the importance of a personal relationship with God through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We need both wings to fly. And the gospel, biblical gospel of reconciliation, emphasizes both. So what is reconciliation? Well, simply, I think, to reconcile is to make peace. The big Bible word shalom in its deep sense. To turn enemies into friends. To take people who were separated and to bring them back together in harmony. So we're going to read a classic portion, uh, passage of the Bible about reconciliation. Notice it with me. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It starts with verse 17. These verses will be familiar to some of you. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So we learn, we learn from this that Jesus reconciles us to God. And there's three insights that just spring out of the passage. First of all, God did the reconciling. <laughs> this was not a negotiated peace between two equal parties. This was not a summit that was convened. No, all the initiative was God. None was us. We were the ones who broke the relationship. God was the one who made the step toward fixing it. We turned against God, but he kept turning toward us. During the Revolutionary War, a pastor named Peter Miller lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, and was friends with George Washington. There was a rascal in town. His name was Michael Woodman, and, and he did everything he could to harass and humiliate Pastor Peter. Uh, he spit in him, at him. Uh, he, he, uh, he tried to trip him when he walked by. One time he punched him in the face. 
Now, Peter Miller was arrested, tried, and convicted of treason and sentenced to die. But, excuse me, uh, the bad guy. I think his name was uh, Michael Woodman. (laughs) Peter Miller walked 50 miles to Valley Forge to meet his friend George Washington to appeal. And as he appealed for the life of the traitor, uh, George Washington said, you know, I, I love you, but I cannot grant you the life of your friend. To which the pastor said, what? He is not my friend. He is my most bitter enemy. To which George Washington said, he's not your friend, he's your enemy. If you walk 50 miles to appeal for your enemy, that changes things, I'll grant the pardon. And he did. And that day, Peter and Michael walked home, having been bitter enemies and now friends. Here's the deal. The enmity had all been Michael, but the offended one, Peter, reached out to heal the relationship. The offended one decides to fix it. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is exactly what God did for us. The problem was all us. The solution was entirely him. God did the reconciling. Second insight that jumps out quickly, God did it in Christ, very clearly. Jesus came to bring us back to God. He did this through his death and resurrection. He did it through forgiveness of sins that we'll celebrate together in communion. The relationship was restored. We can become friends with God because of Jesus. God did the reconciling. Second, God did it through Jesus. And the third insight, God did it for Everyone. Did you notice in verse 19 that it says that God was reconciling? It's hard to say this phrase. It's so powerful. The world to himself. Everyone. He paid everyone's debt. That is huge. I want you to think of a person that you love right now that's far from God. And I want you to remember that Jesus already paid their debt that God has done everything necessary for them to be back to himself, that he removed the barrier between them and him. And because of Jesus, you can say, and when they reach out and receive forgiveness, they can say as well about their relationship with God. And I'm gonna invite you to use an outside voice, say it out loud boldly with me, because of Jesus together, I am God's friend, I am God's child, I am deeply loved, I am completely accepted, I am fully forgiven, I am a new person, I am righteous. Which one of those do you not believe all that much? It's true for all of us. It's hard to get our heads and our hearts wrapped around that because we know the other equally true present reality. We don't live up and into that. But the Bible is clear that because of Jesus, that's who you are in Christ. And God reconciles us to God. You can believe it. So we also discover that Jesus sends us as his representatives into the world. 
putting up this passage that we already read once again. But here's the short of us. In this are embedded three identity statements about what you are now to do. Now that your relationship with God has been clarified, the spiritual side of the gospel plane, now you are being deputized. And it says this, you have now been given the ministry of reconciliation. Secondly, you have been given the message of reconciliation. Third, you are an ambassador for Christ with this message. So Jesus reconciles and he sends. You are reconciled, so you are a reconciler. Reconciled and sent. I asked you to think a moment ago about a friend who's far from God and to remember that God has absolutely done everything needed for them to have an eternal life with him. Have they heard this good news? Do they know that? You know, it's really not hard to share news that that's good. At a recent uh, commencement from Azusa Pacific University, the uh, president uh, invited three graduates to come to the platform. Each of them had chosen to invest the next two years working with the poorest of the poor in India. And as they were surprised with their invitation to the platform, uh, President John Wallace said that an anonymous donor had heard about their next two-year commitment and had decided to give a gift. And so to the first student, President Wallace said, you are forgiven your student loans of $70,000. To the second student, you are completely forgiven your loans of $105,000. And to the third student, you are forgiven your debt of $130,000. And the students were blown away. And all the rest of the graduating class said, I volunteer too. (laughs) How fun do you think it was for President Wallace to say, your debt is completely given. Your debt is played in full. How many of you wouldn't like to share that story with someone else? And as deputized as Christ's ambassador, you have been given a good message to give, the good message that God has done everything to to bridge the gap between us and him through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So you can say, I am reconciled to God and I bring others as a reconciler to God. But this one-wing plane will not fly. The gospel plane has two wings. Love God and love others. Be reconciled and being a reconciler. So let's talk about this side of the plane. We're going to call it, first, understand the gospel of reconciliation. Now, I've discovered that whenever I want to to see the highlights of God's big story, that it makes sense to start at the very beginning. And then it makes sense to go to the very end. And if you read the beginning and the end, you get a picture of how it was to be and how it will be again restored to be. In the very beginning, it says in Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We understand that every human, every man, every woman, every boy, 
every girl, is made in God's image and has great value. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, what language you speak, the, the nation of origin of you or your forebears, your ethnicity or your tribe. This means that every life matters because we are all made in God's image. Men matter, women matter, babies in the womb matter, kids matter, old people matter, an almost two-year-old spitting apple juice on me matters. <laughs> God's image is wrapped up in all kinds of packages. This is where our story starts. Every human is made in God's image. And this is where the story ends. As in Revelation chapter 7, John looks and he says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. John's excited. He's loading up his words up. Every nation, tribe, people, language, to emphasize that we'll all be there together, worshiping God. Now in between, as it was in the beginning, and as it shall be in the end, there's a whole lot of important stuff. It's the story of how we broke how it was in the beginning and how sin stood between us and God and how we began in that sin to divide ourselves to one another through color and through class and through language and other divisions and through sex and through age. And this is a messy, messy book with messy, messy people in their generations trying to figure out how to get things right with God. And I want to encourage you don't overly concern yourself drawing how humans are supposed to treat each other from the middle part of the book. As we conclude in a few minutes, we're going to take a look at the very first church in the New Testament that had a letter written to them. And trust me, they didn't treat each other that well. We're all on our way as it was in the beginning to how it shall be and the end. But what we discover in the middle is that we all have value and that we're struggling our ways toward that. And that the gospel message has two wings. It's spiritual and it's social. Another classic passage is in Ephesians 2. I spoke about it at some length two weeks ago. And by the way, if you've missed any of this series, I encourage you to go to the podcast. Uh, start back with Mother's Day when Anne spoke uh, about women and then the three following messages you're hearing this one. There was two in between. By the way, Anne is fine. She's in Guatemala. I'm lonely and sad, but she's doing great. Thank you for asking. Here we go. In this passage, I mentioned, this is a quick summary, that the first half of the, the passage is about our reconciliation with God. And the second half of Ephesians chapter 2 is about our relationship with one another. This is what he says to the Gentiles in verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Jesus, from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one 
and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And as he wrote this, talking about the divide between Jew and Gentile in Corinth in Paul's day, that was as deep as any sociological human divide in history. And he says to them and he says to us, Jesus came to make the two groups one. And you decide what the other group is as you determine your other. Look at what Jesus has done. The passage says he's our peace. He's made the two groups one. He destroyed the dividing wall. He created one new humanity. He reconciled both of us to God. He put together our hostility. Jesus gives us both access to God. This is the ultimate equality. We're all fellow citizens of God's kingdom. We're all members of God's family. This is the gospel of reconciliation. And this means, as Christ followers, that we should lead the way in racial, ethnic, class, gender, and generational reconciliation. And if you truly are a follower of Jesus, you will find him leading you to be a reconciler. Reconciliation is a gospel issue. So the first way to reconcile is to understand. You need to do some work in your head. The second way to reconcile is to engage your heart and your actions, to engage as an ambassador of reconciliation. I'm gonna give you four quick ways to do that, as I promised. We're gonna receive communion together. Number one, pray. <laughs> Friends, it is a spiritual battle. I understand that there are sociological systems that have been developed out of and ingrained in sociology and history and culture. I get that. But Paul is very clear in Ephesians where he writes later, we don't wrestle against human systems, against flesh and blood. It's not primarily and essentially about people. It is about spiritual principalities and powers. There are forces of the devil who has come to seek to, to kill and destroy that finds division a major tool of his, we first of all pray. It is, as an ambassador of Christ, first your opportunity to be an intercessor. And so we pray. We pray for civic leaders, national, state, and local, to pass and uphold just laws, to continue to change systems so that they're equitable for all. We pray for all Christ followers in our region to be reconcilers, to lead the way. Pray for justice. Pray for peace. It's a spiritual war. Pray, pray, and pray some more. And then learn. You know, disciples are learners. Educate yourself. Do some research. That's the research. Next is the relationship, love. The best way to learn is to have some friends that aren't like you. Ask and listen to their stories. Be brave enough to have honest conversations Move toward the other. Pray, learn, love, and forth partner. Yes, do something. All our loving and learning must be applied toward change to make social structures better for everyone. Partner for justice. 
Our answers or followers of Jesus will be different in terms of its specifics, but it will be yes in general. We will partner. We will act. So we begin today uh, with a picture of a plane. <laughs> I asked how many of you wanted to get on board and got exactly zero votes for that. Good for you. I want to tell you that the one-winged gospel plane doesn't fly either. There's a spiritual wing, and there's a social wing. Be reconciled to God, and be reconciled to others. This last Friday, I got to visit the Billy Graham Library in Charlotte, North Carolina. This is the actual structure of the house Billy Graham grew up in on the dairy farm. He was the oldest of four. This house was taken apart brick by brick, moved five miles to the current site and reconstructed so you can tour it. The library itself is like a museum. You go through it and there's exhibits and presentations. It's, it's informational, it's moving, it's inspirational. I left the library. I went to what's called the Memorial Prayer Garden where Billy Graham was body was laid to rest just weeks ago after passing away at age 99 in February. His tombstone there is next to his wife, Ruth's. I've always loved her theme of life, and it's on her tombstone. It says, please be patient, under construction. <laughs> Billy's tombstone comes right out of the Bible. You wouldn't be surprised. Preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says. He preached to 215 million people and 185 nations and territories, reached literally millions of others through other media. Billy Graham was a gospel person. He knew that being reconciled with, to God was the hope of each human and was the hope of humanity. Billy Graham was a gospel person. He also knew that being reconciled with God was part one of the two-part good news. As I left, I saw in the parking lot a massive motorhome with a huge trailer behind it. I went over to inquire what it was about. It's one of those combinations of resources available to the many teams of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association that are deployed as responders where there's human tragedy helping people in natural disasters, helping people in need. The gospel, reconciled to God, reconciled to others. It is both vertical and horizontal, loving God and loving people. As we receive communion today, um, I think it'll be as comforting for you as it is for me to to recognize that for all these grandiose things that are true of you from God's point of view, that we know ourselves and none of us, none of us get it 100% right. In fact, I'm gonna tell a bit of a story as ushers come now and begin to distribute communion about an early church in Ephesus and you might find yourself, excuse me, in Corinth, you might find yourself in their story. As the ushers begin to pass the silver trays, we invite all of you to participate. You can do that, first of all, by reaching to the center and taking out 
one of the broken cracker pieces, gluten-free crackers, and you can take it and then take a cup of juice that's there and just hold on to that. Now you may say, I'm not sure that I want to participate in this. I'll give you an opportunity to decide whether or not to actually eat that and drink it. That'll be a second decision for you. But I invite all of you to go ahead and have those elements in your hands. And Jeannie, if you could put those up here on this Bible for me as well, please. They didn't get it right in Corinth. They were a very spiritual church. And Paul starts by telling them, you don't lack in any spiritual gift or ability. They had the, they had the reconciliation with God thing down. But when it came time to how they treated each other on the social side of reconciliation, they had classism in their congregation and they treated others like dirt. And that dichotomy showed up when they received communion together. And Paul gets in their face. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And he says to them, in this matter, I have nothing to commend you about. And he says, what's the deal? You come to receive the Lord's Supper and you bring your own stuff to eat. And some of you eat your own dinner and get drunk. And others don't have anything to eat and they go thirsty. He says, don't you know that I received from the Lord that we're to take the bread. As Jesus said, this is my body broken. And when you eat it, remember my death. And you take the cup, this is my blood shed for the remission of sins. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. But Paul writes, and he tells these that you're trying to fly this thing on a one-wing plane. You're celebrating being reconciled with God while treating others with disrespect. And he tells them, if you keep that up, this thing is going to crash. And I'll read the direct quote of his warning to them. So whenever anyone eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, they'll be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So then my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Together is the word from which we get our English word communion. So when you eat, do it in community. Do it connected. Reconciled with God, reconciled with others. In the church I grew up in, we practiced closed communion. I don't fault that. I honor and respect that practice. I understand where it came from, even though it's not my belief or practice today. Closed communion came from this warning of you better do this thing with thoughtfulness and humility and sincerity. Otherwise, things may not go well. And the closed communion piece was we don't want to invite others to come and do something that they shouldn't do. And so 
We actually had communion at two o'clock in the afternoon when guests weren't invited to come because we didn't want to do it when guests were there and make it awkward to not invite them to participate in something we were doing. You get the point. But I will tell you that as a kid growing up in that closed communion setting, that I only heard about looking at my relationship with God. Are you right with God? Now, I want to tell you that that's an important thing. It's the spiritual wing on the gospel plane. But you also read with me what your relationship with God is defined as if you've been reconciled to him. You are like in. You are like perfect. You are forgiven. You are home. I noticed this passage. Paul is not writing about their relationship with God. He's already told them, if you've been forgiven in Christ, you are accepted. He's writing about the relationship with others. So he says, take a look at your attitude and your behaviors toward the others. And today I invite you to join me in examining your attitudes and behaviors toward the other. One of the flags for me is when someone ticks me off, cuts me off, presses into line, gives me a nasty look, is the first thought that comes to my mind the category of people that I put them in? That's another. Today you may be recognizing that there is a category of people that you have created and it is another. Reconcile today. It may be for you very personally. There may be one person that comes to mind. You know exactly who he or she is today. And you know today you'll follow Jesus in forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We can't celebrate reconciliation with God without celebration of reconciliation with others. As I got off the plane yesterday, I, I said to the mom, you know, I don't know you well at all. It's just been five and a half hours. I didn't say it felt like five days. I said, you're a good mom and you've got a great daughter. I said, I overheard your telling your daughter what a great time she's going to have with her dad. And I heard you telling her how much you're going to miss her. I watched how you had prepared for her on this trip, and I watched how you cared for her during it. You're doing well. You're a good mom. And she said, thank you. <laughs> She said, thank you for your help today. You're kind. I don't know why I'm so moved by that because would you agree with me that that's not such a big deal? It just was making a little room and space and expending a little bit of kindness. But it was my story yesterday of seeing another and wishing that they weren't with me and knowing that we were going to be really close for a long time and deciding 
how I was going to think and how I was going to be. And maybe the other would become us. Paul said, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, do it together. Would you pray with me? As you lift your cracker, Lord, in remembrance of you for your body that was shattered into pieces and pierced for us, broken, we receive your wholeness, your healing in our spirits through forgiveness of sin. Would you heal our minds and restore, renew, transform us out of old thinking that we've been stuck with from the past. Renew us in ways that think like you about the other. As we lift the cup, representing your blood, Jesus, shed for the remission of sins, not only ours, but for the sins of the world. We thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness. And today, we join you in your prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We celebrate our reconciliation with you, Father, through the blood of Jesus Christ, your Son. And we embrace the ministry of reconciliation with others. And God, by your grace, we eat and drink today together in your strong name. Would you let your amen be the eating first of the bread? now the drinking of the cup. Amen. Let's stand. You've been seated uh, in a cheap coach seat, except you've had more leg room. Before we deplane today, I'm going to ask you to do something that's, um, that's only going to be awkward if you're not careful. And I'm going to want you to put out two wings. Don't do it yet, but in a moment, I'm going to ask you to extend, I'm going to ask you to extend the gospel wing of reconciliation with God. Don't do it yet. And then extend the gospel wing of social reconciliation with others, and we're all going to fly as uh, Morgan and the team takes us out with a song. Now, you don't have to hold your hands out this through the whole song. For some of that, that would become precariously close to raising your hands in worship, and your hands haven't gotten that high yet. Yeah. And for others of you, it's just going to look awkward looking like a wounded duck out there, so I understand. But I am going to ask you right now to extend a reconciled with God hand and extend a social reconciliation hand, and you all look like gospel deputized ambassadors of Christ to me. Let's sing together. You have found me.